Guys, before we get started, can we give it up for the interns? Didn't they do a great job? When I was in college, I was a ball of insecurity, so they killed it. That is the Hypo Fall Retreat, in which it will be a great time. Also, can we just honor Leo and the band? That They're killing it tonight. This is the band that we're going to have all weekend, okay? They're going to crush. The second half of the set is insane. So, hey, good to be with you guys. Uh, it's been a while. I'm glad to be back. If you haven't met me yet, my name is Tony. I have one of the privileges of being on staff here at the Salt Company. And tonight we're going to be continuing our series to the book of Colossians, okay? So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. It's about 80% of the way through the Bible. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1 tonight. I say this every week, but it's because I mean it. If you're new here to Salt Company, we know this room can feel like a really intimidating room where we have these intense moments of worship, people are dancing on stage for no reason. It can be kind of an intense moment. Just want to say thank you for being here. Thanks for joining us here at Salt Company, and our hope is that you could find a home in this place. Hey, let me pray as we jump into our time together. Father, thank you for the grace of being able to go away this weekend and spend time in nature, in your creation, with your presence. Father, we know that you're going to be at fall retreat. We know that you're going to show up in a mighty way. We know that you are, your glory is going to be made manifest in that place. Father, would you move this weekend and would you move tonight? Would tonight be a time where the glory of God would become so evident in this room? That it couldn't be explained with emotionalism or with music or with lights or with speaking, but ultimately, Jesus, that it would just be your presence in this place that would take our breath away, that your glory would be so real and so evident that we would leave this place a different people. Father, pray that the glory of God would be heavy in this place tonight and help us to have soft hearts to receive what you want to teach us. In your name we pray. Amen. Have you guys ever noticed that pretty much everyone in your life, including you right now, is at a minimum kind of depressed? Okay, no, like seriously, think about this with me. Like, have you met anyone who's like really thriving right now? No, they don't exist, okay? Couple theories. First one is snow. Oh my gosh, why do we live here? Snow in October? Holy cow, that's what, yes, I know. Should we move to Florida? Like, no, just kidding, that's the armpit of America. Do not move there. Let's go to like Nashville or somewhere cool, you know? Snow in October, that's crazy. That's when, you know, you know, leaves are supposed to fall, not snow. Okay, theory number one, why we're all kind of depressed, snow. Theory number two, inflation. Are you guys feeling this with me? Oh, my gosh. Do you know macroeconomics? Do you know the moment of time we're in right now? The dollar is deflating. I mean, it's crazy. It's a hard time. I still remember when a Chipotle burrito was $6.95. That was the best. A sub seven? Are you kidding me? Delightful. Last one. <coughs> It's because of school. Okay, here's the deal. You guys, you guys are spending like $100,000 in four years of your life on classes you hate. You know, you're like, oh, no, on a major you don't know if you're going to use. Okay, and you're like, I wish I could pay that off, but I can't. That's, that's just the way it is. Maybe that's why we're all kind of depressed in here. Snow, inflation, grades, blah, blah, blah. Okay. But that it is with the human condition, right? Even when life is going well, even when you're kind of thriving, you know, even on the outside, when your classes, you're not failing, you have relationships with people you like being around. The lived experience is life kind of sucks, okay? That's just how it feels. And the way that our culture has tried to identify or to try to solve the problem of the human condition, this dilemma that no matter how life is going, it still seems to suck, 
is through just trying to make your life a little bit better. It's just try to get a couple good things. And the way that our culture has defined what a good life is, is fundamentally education, economic development, and entertainment. This is progressive ideology over the last 200 years in the West. The reason why people are sad, the reason why people are struggling with mental illness, the reason why they're struggling with their purpose and who they are is ultimately because they're just not educated enough, they don't have enough economic development, and they don't have enough entertainment. Here's the problem with the progressive ideology that is shown to be bankrupt right now. The upper class in America has the highest rates of depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, and meaninglessness. In a West where people have more economic potential, more education, more entertainment than ever before, the human condition is still that of sadness and sorrow. So here's a question. What else do we need then? If it's not just trying to get more good things into our life, what do we actually need? Here's what I'm going to talk to you about tonight. What we need is not just more good things in our life. What we need is the glory of God. We need to gaze upon the glory of God and have that glory encapsulate our souls. There's a reason why you've spent your entire life doing things that you thought would fulfill you, but they don't. It's because you were not made to chase the things of this world. You were made to gaze at the glory of God. So my hope for us tonight is that we would gaze upon his beauty. Okay, last thing, and then we're going to jump into our text. This is not just a problem with our culture. This is actually a problem with the wider evangelical church in America. Here's why. The church in America has tried to proclaim the gospel to people by fundamentally talking to their felt needs, trying to make people's lives a little bit better, trying to give people a little bit of clues or tips on how to live a good life. Here's what that has produced in America right now. People who have believed that God exists to make their life good instead of believing that they exist to bring glory to God. One of the biggest misses in the church right now is we have convinced people that God is a vending machine to click on when we need something from him instead of that we were created by him, through him, and for him, for his glory. So my hope here tonight is a couple fold. I hope that the glory of God would be so evident in this place that you couldn't leave Salt Company while thinking to yourself that was just some music, some speaking, or some community. You would have encountered the glory of God. But my other hope for you is this you would recognize that you exist to bring God glory. That is the singular purpose of your life. Colossians 1 is where we're going to be. Colossians 1, open up your Bibles with me. It's one of my favorite texts in the entire world. We're going to start in verse 15. It's quite hype. <clears throat> okay. Guys, I had so much caffeine today, I'm like shaking. Anyways, moving on. My heart is palpating. Okay. That's not a funny joke. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 
Okay, so here's what Paul does in just a few verses. He just riffs on the glory of God, specifically on the glory of Jesus. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what's called expository Bible preaching, okay? That's a big term, big fancy scholar term, for basically just saying I'm going to take verse by verse through this text and teach through it. Not to try to make it creative, not to try to add some fluff to it, but just so that you could see the essence of the heart of God in this text. So here's what we're going to do. Normally I have three long points, belabored points. Tonight we just have five quick ones. Okay, we're going to boom, 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 like strap in, buckle in. If you're a note taker, your hand's going to be sore. It's going to be a great time, okay? It's going to be a great time. What we're going to do is we're going to look at five glorious realities and look at five implications for our lives with hopes that five revelations would actually change our souls. That's right, five, five, five. Okay, that's what it's going to be. So let's start in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Okay, here's glorious reality number one. You can see God, okay? This is really cool if you think about it and you haven't thought about it. But all throughout the Old Testament, God was just a fire. He was a vision. He was, you know, different burning bushes. You know, people could not see God. They knew of Yahweh. They knew of the God of the universe. But they did not know exactly who he would be like. I want you to think about this. Every other religion just has hypotheses, you know, educated guesses. That's how I got through college, guys. I was like, I think this one's right. Like, that's how I did every test. I was like, I didn't study or read, so I think it's C. You know, that's, that's what it is. That's hypothesis, right? It's an educated guess. Every other world religion in the history of humanity guesses on who God was like. Think about Greek mythology, man. There's no way God looks like Zeus with eight-pack abs. There's just no way. There's no way. That's how it is. But human beings for thousands of years have been guessing on who God is. Why? Because they could not see him. Because he was an invisible God, unattainable to the human eye. Here's the greatness and beauty and genius of Christianity. Jesus Christ took on flesh and blood so that the invisible God would be visible to us. Here's how crazy that is. For thousands of years, for millennia, people have been searching for God. You no longer have to search for where God is. You can open up the Bible and literally read the gospel accounts. Have you ever read them? Oh, my gosh. They're crazy. Jesus is, like, healing people and then saying these, like, kind of confusing, crazy things. We're working through the gospel of John right now and redemption. And every sermon's like, what is he saying? Okay? That's what it's like. And then he, like, eats fish with his disciples. It's a very confusing time. You can know God. You can see him. You can intimately know the creator of the universe. Okay, so here's implication number one. Because God is the image of the invisible God, we can see him and share him. Listen, some of you have spent your whole lives hearing about God, but you've never seen him. You've spent your whole lives intaking information, but you have never locked eyes with the creator of the universe. My encouragement for you this week is to actually seek seeing God. That you would meet with him on a daily basis and you would look at him in his eyes and see not just what he looks like but who he is. Listen to me. If you know Jesus, you don't have to guess what God is like. You don't have to wonder if he's going to forgive you when you sin. That sin you don't want to tell anyone. You don't have to wonder where you're going to be spending eternity with because it's his house. So you're going to spend it with him. You can know Jesus. God does not have to be a figurative being out there. You can see Jesus. And the second thing you can do is when you've met him, you can share him. So last week, uh, I lost my AirPods. Oh, my gosh. 
It was such a sad day, guys. I literally was like, oh, is my life ending? It was AirPod Pros, like the ones that don't fall out of your ears. Like the normal ones fall out of my ears. Anyways, it's this whole thing. I was genuinely shook. I was like, oh, my gosh, am I a Christian? Okay, so I lost my AirPods. And then I go to the airport. I was in Denver, flying back from Denver. And I go to the airport. And I don't know about you guys, but I am not trying to have gospel conversations on the plane. I'm trying to put in my AirPods, close my eyes, pretend like I'm asleep. Like, it's just true. Maybe you guys are holier than I am, but that's just what I do, okay? So I never talk to strangers on the plane, okay? Partly because it smells bad in planes. And I just don't like having conversation with it smells bad. It's just true. Anyways, moving on. So I get to the airport. I lost my AirPods. I'm reconsidering all of life. I get on this plane. I open up a book, even though I never read books on planes because it makes me nauseous and I try to put like I'm sleeping. Anyways, and then I meet this person, and her name is Abigail. And she's reading this book called Talking to God. So I'm like, hey, Abigail, are you a Christian? And she's like, yes. I'm like, oh, interesting. So we start talking. And then the conversation ends because I'm a normal person, and you do the courtesy conversation where it lasts three minutes and you're done. She reengages. She's like, what book are you reading? And I'm like, oh, Abigail, I'll be honest, I lost my AirPods. And it's this whole thing, you know, I'm like, I have to tell you about it because now it's like awkward. And then for the next two hours, we just start talking about Jesus. And she starts telling me her story that she grew up as a nominal Catholic, that she has never really read the Bible before, that she never has had an intimate relationship with God before. But about a month ago, God just began to knock on her heart and say, Abigail, I, I just want to spend time with you. So she's like trying to seek out gospel conversations. And she literally was in the airport and she was reading this book on prayer. And she was like, I don't even know what prayer is because I don't know God. And so she's thinking to herself, I wish someone would just talk to me about it. And then here I was with no AirPods. Okay, so I was just placed right there by God. Not faithful, not obedient, just like there wishing I could fall asleep. Anyways, so we're there. And I asked her, Abigail, what's the reason why you wouldn't believe right now? And her answer to me was I. I don't have enough commitment. I'm not good enough for God. I don't know enough of the Bible. I'm not religious enough. And I was like, Abigail, here's the beauty of the gospel. Christianity is about Christ. It is about the goodness of Jesus becoming visible for you. And I was like, Abigail, if you want to know God, all you have to do is look at him. He is the image of the invisible God. And I asked her, has anyone ever explained to you that the basis of your faith is not in what you have done for God, but in what Jesus has done for you. And she was like, no. And I was like, is anything stopping you now? And she received Christ, which was really encouraging. But anyways, she's getting discipled by my friend Larissa. They got dinner on Monday. It's a fantastic story. Moving on. Here's the beauty of Jesus. He took on flesh and blood so that we could see him. We could know him intimately, and you could know him so intimately, and he can be so real to you in your life that you could share about him like you'd share about your friend. Listen, so many people make sharing faith so complicated. All you have to do is give people Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. Okay, so that's implication number one. He is the image, and so we can see him and share him. Number two, number two. He is a sovereign creator and sustainer. Look with me to verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Okay, so this passage is what we call Christology. It's the theology around who Christ is. And here's what Colossians 1 is saying. This is so dope. I hope you remember this for the rest of your life, okay? Here's what he's saying. He is the creator of all things. They were made by him 
through his power and for his glory. Think about this. Literally everything that's created. That tree that looks extra beautiful on a fall day before the snow hits. You know that tree. Created by Christ through his power and for his glory. Your life was created by him, through him, and for his glory. Listen, I want to make this abundantly clear. I hear it all the time. What's the purpose of my life? You know, and then you take out like a little metal detector and like beep, 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 God, tell me, what is it? You know, like, is it this? No, okay. What is the purpose of your life? Salt company. It is that you are made by him, through him, and for his glory. The singular purpose of your life is to shed glory upon the creator who saved you, sustained you, sanctified you, and bought you with his blood. That is the singular purpose of your life. Verse 17 says this. Then he is before all things, and in him holds all things together. Here's what that means. He isn't just the creator of your soul, of the world, and the universe. He's also the sustainer of everything in this world. It is by his grace that you were created. It is by his grace you were given a purpose to glorify him. It is by his grace you were saved, sanctified, and sustained. It is only and always about the grace and mercy of Christ. Everything in the world is meant to bring glory to him. Okay, this is a theological idea called the sovereignty of God. This reality that God is not just your creator, but he's also your sustainer. He has power over everything in the universe and over your life. So here's the implication. Life sucks, but he is sovereign. Okay, it's just true. It's true. Here's why. Because my best friend Marty got beat up this week. Marty's my car. He's my best friend. Gosh, dude, it hurts so bad. Guys, I walked out of my house. And I... I just spent time studying this text, and I was like, oh, my gosh, God is so sovereign. Like, he does everything for my good. And then I walk out, and there's just a hole in my window. And I'm like, Marty, what happened to you? And he's like, I got hit by a rock. And I was like, what? By nature? No. By a human hand? I'm like, no, Marty. That is literally the moment I had with him. I almost shed a tear. I didn't. Okay, it's fine. So I'm broken to Marty, stole nothing because I'm poor. Like, that's just how it went. I have no monetary value as a human being. Moving on. So... <laughs> The I'm poor part, I think got you a little. It's true, I do ministry. Moving on, I'm fine. This is not a soapbox for my financial situation. So I'm sitting there. Marty's window's all busted up, and I'm sad. Okay, I'm sad. This, this is a long illustration for just a simple point, okay? Stuff like this is going to happen, all right? Marty's going to get busted into. You're going to have a hard week. The cancer diagnosis is going to hit your family. The mental health is not just going to be a week of your life. It's going to be a diagnosis. Life is going to be filled with suffering. The only way you can smile through the suffering is the sovereignty of God. That is the only way. Because there will come a time when cliche Christian sayings like, for your good, just don't work. And the whole, the universe knows what it's doing. Like, whatever, okay, no chance. There will come a day when you need a well-developed theology around suffering in your life. You are going to need to trust 
that the suffering of this world doesn't own you, that the sovereignty of God is real, and his love for you transcends even the suffering of this life. Here's a quote that I found that I found encouraging and inspiring. Experiencing grief and pain is like falling off a cliff. Everything has been turned upside down and we are no longer in control. As we fall, we see one and only one tree that is growing out from the rock face. So we grab hold of it and cling to it with all our might. This tree is our holy God. He alone can keep us from falling headfirst into our doom. There simply aren't any other trees to grab, so we cling onto this tree with all our might. This is where this quote gets really good. But what we didn't realize is that when we fell and grabbed the tree, our arm actually became entangled in the branches. So in the reality, the tree is holding us. We hold on to keep from falling, but what we don't realize is we can't fall because a tree has us. We are safe. God in his holiness is keeping us and showing mercy to us. We may not be aware of it, but it is true. He is with us even in the darkest and deepest pit. Here's what I'm trying to show you with that quote. There will come a time of suffering in your life that is so visceral, so real. Some of you are in this right now where you'll begin to question, did I even have faith? Do I even know Jesus? Because the way I'm responding to this doesn't really feel Christian. The way I'm responding to this is my world has been turned upside down. And I'm clinging on with all my might, but I'm losing my grip. Here's the beauty of the gospel. You did not save yourself, so you can't unsave yourself. See, the beauty of the gospel is it was Jesus' hand that reached down to grab you out of the place of sin in the first place. And it is his hand that will remain entangled towards yours, and he's got an incredible grip. So in seasons of suffering, remember this. Your faith is not defined by the strength of your faith. It is going to feel incredibly weak. It is defined by the one that's holding you. That's a sovereign theology on suffering. Okay, so that's number two. He is a sovereign creator and sustainer. Life sucks, but he is sovereign. Okay, moving on. Number three. We're going to rip through these because I spent way too much time talking about Marty. I'll be honest. Holy cow. That was like four minutes. Okay. Sorry for wasting that time of your life. Moving on. Glorious reality number three. He is the head of the church. Here's where I got it. Look, it's really cool. And he is the head of the body, the church. Okay. Get this. He is the leader of the church. The church is not led by human beings, guys. Okay? The body of Christ is not led by singular human beings or even bodies of human beings. It is led by Jesus Christ alone. It's his words, his message, his spirit that leads the church of Christ. Okay, here's why this is so important. Because in our culture, we love, we love the brand. We love when man is elevated over God. Okay, so here's the implication I want you to see. Because Jesus is the head of the church, we follow Jesus, not man. And here's why that matters. I want you to be incredibly cautious of any church, organization, or Christian group that elevates man over God. Right now in 2023, this is going to be pretty prophetic and pretty, if you're mad at me, just don't email me. Email Juliana, okay? But anyways, my email's coming up later, just don't use it. But anyways, you can actually talk to me. I'm kidding. Okay. Right now in 2023, I want you to think about this. Christianity is in such an odd spot. 
Because we talk about how Jesus Christ is the only one who matters, the head of the church. And yet Christians, time and time again, are building their own brand on the bloodied body of Christ. I just want you to think about the irony there. I want you to be weary of places that claim that Jesus Christ is Lord, but one person's brand, social media presence, book deals, whatever, are defining the entire organization. Be weary of places where Jesus Christ is not the head. The second thing I want you to be weary of is hierarchy. I'm not saying deconstruct everything. I'm really not. If you want to have a longer conversation around church history, we can have it, okay? There is a sense by which there are many flavors of Christianity where a council of men speak for God, where they can define what the word of God says and does not say. And listen to me here. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Not any man, not any group of men. It is his church with his word, with his spirit that leads it. So be weary. Do not follow man, but follow Jesus. Look with me to verse, or to glorious reality number four. He is the firstborn of death. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Guys, this is such a cool verse, okay? Just nerd with me for half a second. He is the beginning. He was with God in the perfect triune community that we call the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Yes. That's what they were existing in. But not only is he the beginning, he is the firstborn from the dead. Here's what that means. Jesus Christ defeated death. Come on. Yes. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amazing. Here's why the resurrection matters so much. is because if the resurrection is true, we have no fear as Christians. Think about this. The worst that could happen to you is die. But because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his defeating of the death, death is not the end of your story. It is the beginning. Death is not the end. It is a doorway into marvelous light. It is so awesome. Can you imagine if you actually believe this? If the resurrection of Jesus Christ was baked into the psyche of your mind and the depths of your soul, you would have no fear. You would have no fear of your future. No fear of what people think of you. No fear of what your parents have put on you. No fear of anything. You would make incredible decisions to live for the kingdom of God because you are so sure that your eternity is secured. And the worst that could happen to you in this life is like a birthday present for the rest of your life. You would have no fear. Listen, Christianity. I'm a sucker for this, but Christianity is so good. Because Jesus doesn't just save you in this life. He gives you freedom, freedom to live without fear in this life in perspective of the next. So because Jesus rose from the dead, we have no fear. Last one, last one. Got to close this up. Taking too long tonight. Ben, the timer never started. Still says 30 minutes. <laughs> okay. Verse 20. I honestly don't know how long we've been doing this. Okay. Verse 20. It scares me. And through him. To reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Okay, so here's the reality. We've talked about this. He is the image. He's the sovereign creator and sustainer. He is the head. What is the fourth one? He defeated death, okay? All these things are true of Jesus. He brings peace by the blood of his cross. All these things are true of Jesus, even if you don't believe in him. Even if your heart has not been regenerated by the blood of Christ, all these things are true of Christ. But hear me on this. The implications are not true for you unless you understand who you are. 
Jesus doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's not insecure about whether or not you believe in him. He doesn't need me to sit up here and give you a used car salesman pitch on why you should follow Jesus. He is glorious, and he demands your worship because of who he is. But the beautiful implications and revelations that we've just talked about do not apply to you unless you realize who you are in this story. You are not Christ. You are not the glorious one who came on our behalf. You are not perfect and impressive. You are a broken sinner in desperate need of grace. Here's what verse 21 says. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. In the equation of a glorious God, you are hostile and evil. You are a sinful person in desperate need of grace who could not save yourself, who could not reach out to God, who could not bestow on yourself the righteousness and holiness that you need to come into the glory of God. If you do not understand who you are, the implications do not apply to you. Because here's the reality. There is a gap between the glory and holiness of God and your hostile nature and your evil mind. And the only way to cross the gap is by the blood that brings peace. So here's the implication here. If you want to know Jesus, if you want the implications of his glory in your life, you actually have to believe in the blood. Nothing else can save you. Not the classes you took when you were young. Not the baptism you once had. Not the religious performance or the family you grew up. Listen to me. Nothing else can save you but the blood of Christ. And if you misunderstand that, it's because you misunderstand who you are in the story. It's because you think you deserve the grace of God. And so hear it now. You have to believe in the blood. Okay, so as I call the worship band back up, here's how I want to end our time together, okay? In review, if you want to distill my entire sermon down to one sentence, it is always only Jesus. Literally everything in the universe is about Jesus. He created everything. It was by him and through him and for him. Your life, the purpose of your life is to make much of King Jesus. That is the entire point of the message of the Bible and of everything. So I want you to remember this. God does not exist to make your life good. You exist to glorify God. And when you glorify him, you will experience the great life you were designed to live. Okay. So as we close, all my five points. It is all about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the sovereign creator and sustainer. He is the head of the church. He is the feeder of death. He is the peacemaker. And what I want to show you as we end our time together is we're going to do a little bit different. I'm not going to pray out. You're going to be okay. We're going to go through 95 names of Jesus. That's right. Oh my gosh. It's going to be a party. Okay. And then we're going to enter into worship. And here's my hope for us, that the 95 names of Jesus would stir in your soul the glory and righteousness and holiness of God. And it would be beautiful to you. If you would like an email, please email me at T. Lee at redemptiontc.com. Okay, you can email me if you want this list. Otherwise, it'll be on our podcast. Okay, here are the names of Jesus. He is the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the root of Jesse, the rock of ages, and the ancient of days. He is the commander of God's army, the radiance of God's glory, the holy one, the heir of all things, the bread of life, the author of life, and perfecter of life. 
He is the overseer of souls, the horn of salvation, the desire of nations, the son of righteousness, the consolation of Israel, the lion of Judah. He is the man of sorrows, the gift of God, the lamb of God, the wisdom of God, the power of God, the image of God, the angel of God, the son of God, the son of man, the son of David, the son of Joseph, and the son of Mary. He's the king of the Jews, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of glory. He is the morning star, the last Adam, the living stone, the true witness, the atoning sacrifice, the good shepherd, the great high priest, the chief cornerstone. He is the righteous servant, the highest, the almighty, the firstborn, the advocate, the head, the resurrection, the temple, the sanctuary, the branch, the vine, the way, the truth, and the life. He is the gate, the rock, the light, the prophet, the apostle, the Nazarene, the carpenter, the comforter, the fountain. He is the alpha, the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the amen, the faithful and the true. He is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, Prince of Peace. Saul, come stand with me as we worship. He is the Messiah, the Word, the Rabbi, the Teacher, the Master, the Redeemer, the Deliberator, the Mediator, the Creator, the Judge, Emmanuel. His name is Yahweh. His name is Lord. His name is God. His name is Savior. His name is Christ. And His name is Jesus. These are the names of Christ. It has always and only been about Jesus. And here's what's true. At the end of your life, there will be name on your tombstone for who you live for, what you live for, the name you worshiped. And if it's any other name than the name of Jesus, you will spend eternity apart from him. But if it is his name, any one of these names, the wonderful counselor, the almighty God, if it is Jesus' name, then you will spend eternity with Christ. So live your life in light of the glory of God with his name written on the tombstone of your life. And let us worship our glorious and risen King.